Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. I do know this year, blessed is the nation, the Bible says, whose God is the Lord. And when God is number one in the nation, God is on the throne, how many know that things happen in that nation? And so we're going to take a moment and just pray right now. So I'd like everybody across the aisles, let's all join. And let's all join our hands together with the people that are around you today. You can go right across the aisles if you like. And Father, we lift up our nation right now and our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. And we thank you for him, Father God. And we thank you for this here nation. We thank you for the members of parliament, Father God. Because things didn't go the way we thought they should go. Lord, we're not moved by that, but we're moved by you. Because you said the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And because it is, you can turn it whichsoever way we notice when the people pray. So God, we join with churches all over the land today. We join with believers across the land today that are praying for Canada. And in our national anthem, we say, O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Keep our land glorious and free. O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. So God, guard our parliament today. Guard the decisions that they're making in there. Send God the the Nicodemuses, send the labors across their past, Father God, with the right word at the right time and the right place. With, uh, with the right heart and the right compassion that, Father, could cause the hands of the lawmakers, cause the hands of change to come forth in the right way at the right time. So, God, we lift them up today, and we pray that even the scriptural verses that are over the parliament building, in the rooms that they would go into, where it says, honor the king, fear God. God, we speak even the ones that say the whole armor of God to put on. That, God, the words off the writs would just jump and just connect with them when they walk into there. May they know that something's different. May they know that there's a shift. May they know that this is God's word that's inscribed for them to do business for our land and nation. So be it done today, God. Be it done today. According to our faith and fathers, we see the verses that Jesus warned us about. There'll be nation rising up against nation. There'll be wars and rumors of wars that will hit. As God, we see what's happening with China and Taiwan, even at this very moment, Japan, North Korea, and all the things. God, you said these things would happen, but you said when they do, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed, don't be depressed, don't focus on that. But he said, look up and know that your redemption draweth near. So God, that's what we choose to focus on. We don't choose to be with this world and a part of it. We choose to be with Christ today and the kingdom that he's building in the earth. And we give you thanks for that now, Daddy, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, God, keep our land glorious and free. You may be seated. Are you all ready for God's word now? Okay. 
We've been doing a series on faith, and we've been covering the four elements of faith. The Bible teaches us very quickly that my people, not the enemies, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we found that that speaks of deficient knowledge, missing pieces of knowledge is how the people, the enemy is getting the upper hand over their life. So the first thing is knowledge. It comes, it says, know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps his covenant of love and mercy to a thousand generations of those that love him. So we understand the acquaintance with God through proper knowledge of revelation of his name. And then we found out of that knowledge we have of God. How many know God is good? Amen. The Bible says that God is good. Praise him in the song. And so then it tells us the next aspect is the aspect of trust, confidence, reliance, steadfast hope. And so we see that when that reliance and confidence, that trust comes in God because we have the proper knowledge, then we can begin to activate the promises of God in our life. And then we found out the third ingredient, very, very basically, is faith gives substance to our hopes, okay? It's the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we covered the whole aspect of a confident expectation of good. Not a wishing or hoping and praying that things are going to work out, but it's a confidence because you know, because you're acquainted with God, you now trust Him and you have that confident hope. So from the time that you put your faith out there and believe, to the time that it's manifest, how many know the patience is developed inside of our lives? So that's where holding on to our hope is taking place. And then the last corresponding action, the last element, the last ingredient of our faith is simply that of obedience. You know, the Bible teaches us in the new covenant to whom we yield our members unto today, whether to sin unto unrighteousness or to God unto righteousness, then that's the members you become that you obey. And so we cover this whole aspect of obedience. In Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, one of the ones that I read and one of the ones that I reference from also when I do my, uh, my studies from the Word of God, it, his concise definition of biblical obedience is very simple. He said it means to hear God's Word and then act accordingly. To just hear and not act is not biblical faith in any way. Just like faith without corresponding actions, our faith without works is dead. As a matter of fact, if we can all turn in our Bibles over to the book of James chapter 2. So if you have it on your phone, if you have it on your iPad, wherever you have it, just turn over there if you can to the book of James chapter 2. And we're going to read over here in just a few moments over here. Okay? And we're going to start for time's sake this morning in verse number 11 of chapter 2. So we see Erdman's Bible Dictionary also says this. It says, true hearing or obedience involves the physical hearing that inspires the hearer and a belief or trust that in turn motivates the hearer to act in accordance with what the speaker desires. In other words, you can sum up what Dr. Erdman says in his, biblical obedience simply means to hear, trust, submit, surrender to God, and then simply obey his words. James, the stepbrother of Jesus, gives us real revelation of this here. How many know our works cannot save us? Okay, we have to emphasize that. The Bible says outside of Christ, all of our righteousness, all of our good works are as filthy rags unto God outside of Christ. But how many know in Christ, how many know you and I are commanded to be an example of good works? You and I are to practice good works. You and I are to maintain good works. You and I are to be passionate of good works. 
We're to be fervent of good works. We're to be zealous of good works. And that's all taken, what I just shared, just from the book of Titus. We can go into Timothy and share many, many others. So our lifestyles are to be characteristics of good works. So the scripture writer tells us, James the stepbrother says in verse number 11, for the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. How many know that would be good to have in the minds of all the people for Bill C-14 right now? And for all those that have been speaking out against it, we commend you, but we challenge the others also to do so. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. How many can say that's good news? Okay, for the merciful one, but how many know the people that are harsh, the people that are insensitive, the people just go like, just, just, just ram it down when somebody misses the mark? How many know the Bible says if you don't show mercy to others on judgment day, there's not going to be no mercy for you? So here's the question, here's the question. Many people say there's no more judgment today. All the judgment was put on Christ. Well, how many know that's true? All the judgment was put on Christ. That does not give us an excuse not to judge ourselves because the Bible teaches us to judge ourselves. How many know all the sin was also put on Christ? But how many know I know believers, I know we, we as believers, how many know at times we sin? Okay, how many operate in faith 24-7 every day of your life, never miss the mark, never wish you would, uh, never live in the land of could'ves, would'ves, and should've, wish you didn't say that, could've said that, should've said that, should've done this. How many can all say amen right now? Raise your hand if you, if, if you say any of those there, you've missed the mark inside of your life since you're a believer. One, two, three. So the rest of you never missed the mark. The rest of you are perfect. I want you to teach this message today, Okay. Okay, there's greater grace on you than there is on me on that, okay? So anyway, so then he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters? He's speaking to the family now. He says, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by what? By your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces, come on, good deeds, it is dead and useless. That's why the writers went in and said there's a conduct inspired by the surrender. That's why it says there's a change of heart. So real biblical faith always has an action to the faith. Okay, if there's never any actions, was it just something maybe that came from your head and not from the depths of your heart is what the writer's saying out here. The good works, again, they don't save you, but the good works are now a product of the saved. It's just a natural thing. I remember when I got saved, prior to being saved, I was very selfish. It was all about me. I was characterized by selfish ambition. My brother, my sister, and myself all had goals that we were going to be millionaires by the time we were 30 years of age. We pursued a course in the business, all three of us, and, and went off into that there area. And then something happened to me at 23 years of age. I got saved. So I put my agenda on the side and put God's agenda in place. 
And so I recognize, and, and listen, you can't put money on the gift of what God has given to me. I am so thankful and so appreciative for his mercy to me for where I was and where God took me out of the pit of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of his light. There's nothing you can do to buy it, nothing you can do to earn it. It was the grace and the gift of God's love. Can you say amen? And so now, how many know, now, it, and it's not something I tried to work for. It's not something, how many know I just wanted to do what the Bible said and I never even heard a message on it? There was just, there was a longing, there was a desire inside that not only do I want to know this God, do I want to trust this God, do I want to put my confidence in God, my hope in God, but I also want to just do what he says to do. Three people in the whole room got that. Okay, so the writer said, now now how did that, how did that, see what I've learned about God is he even gives you the desire, he even gives you the want to. Okay, so what I've learned about God is, uh, what I've learned about God, biblical obedience doesn't just hear but biblical obedience just does what it knows to do. How many have ever been convicted on something you never even heard a sermon on, but there was conviction that God convicted you in before you ever heard a sermon? How, how did that happen? The things that I was doing before I got saved, I didn't, you know, I, I probably knew they were wrong, but it didn't bother me. Okay, then I got saved, and all of a sudden I'm feeling this conviction. Okay, why did that happen? Because God's spirit came inside me. Is that not right? And so I recognize this is how this whole operation of faith works. So in the book of James, we're going to go on a little further. James talks about in chapter 1, our faith is tested. Our faith is proved when we overcome temptations inside of our life by being not just hearers, but by being doers. And it tells us that in chapter 1. Chapter 2 says faith is now shown by our good works that are the corresponding actions to a newfound faith. Chapter 3 shows now, if we have this faith in God, it's going to be shown by our words. Why? Because our words are proclamations. Our words are declaration. Our words call the things that be not as though they already are. Quit saying your husband's harsh. Quit saying your husband's stupid. Quit saying your wife is cold. Quit saying what you see and start saying what God's word has to say. That he's great. He's a blessing. He's on my side. He's for me. He's for the family. He puts God number one inside of his life. And as you begin to call the things that be not as though they already are, you'll begin to see the things that be not begin to take on flesh, begin to take on blood, begin to see the changes. But if you just call the things that be as though they are, then you're just reinforcing already hell's grip on the man or the woman rather than heaven's grip on their life. So faith is seen by our words. And then the next part is faith is shown by our unworldliness. Say unworldliness. How many know if people don't see any difference in you than in the world, then how many know we're a backslidden church? We're backslidden individuals. If people aren't celebrating everything you're doing, they're not happy about you. They get upset when they oftentimes get around you, not because of harshness or a wrong attitude, but because of the simple life that you live, dedicated to God. You know, my family, I, this, this is what really was amazing to me. Before I got saved, I used to hear this constantly, you know, you're going to kill my grandkids because I would drink under the influence and then I would drive. And you're going to kill my grandkids. Or, you know, you're, and it's like, okay, okay, lighten up, Mom. Everything's going to be okay. And then I get saved. Okay. And then I heard these here words. I liked you better the way you were before. And it's like, what don't you get? What don't you understand? Years later, they came in, and thank God for that. 
But, but how many know, listen, the world doesn't get excited when you get saved. Your friends don't get excited when you get saved. Okay, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. If they're not speaking against you, then what have you become? If they're just all saying, oh man, you're just the greatest thing. I just can't wait to hang around. just can't wait to be around you. Okay, what is it that, what difference is there in your life and what difference is mine? See, there's different standards that we live by. There's different values that we live by. There's different principles that we live by. Let me just break it down into the 24-7 that you can hear. We don't dress like the world dresses. We're not dressing just in fashion that shows half of what's going on or putting these tight pants on that are sort of like this. That's not how we do it because we're not trying to draw the attention to us. We're trying to bring the attention to him. We're not characterized by this world. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't be shaped into the image of this world, but be transformed by the renovation. By changing the way you think, you're going to change the way you behave. So faith is shown by your words. It's shown by your actions of unworldliness. Then faith is shown by our patience. Is there anybody in the room that struggles with a little bit of impatience at times? Is there anybody who struggles with a little bit of impatience all the time? Don't raise your hand, okay? Okay, but then it's shown by our prayers, which is the only antidote and the only answer to impatience is prayer. And he goes and says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. And he brings that out in chapter 5. So in the New Living, it says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and it's useless. The King James says, even so, faith, if it doesn't have works, it's dead being alone. And then the Message Bible, I love this. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? So what do we mean by that there? So our lives are to be characterized by good works today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is quoted. Many of you know him. He was one of the outspoken evangelical ministers of the time of Hitler that was there. And there was so much when you study out that parallels to what's actually going on in the society today that many people aren't even aware of what's going on. And part of that is the death of these seniors, the death of, uh, of the sick, the death of the handicapped. And you're going to see it go. See, what we need to recognize, and, and this is where many of the next geners are, are not aware of, we can learn when we study history. Okay, so we're not ignorant of history, and, and, and this is what transpired in history, and when Roe versus Wade, the abortion thing came in, what, what, you don't, what you don't realize is, when they brought it in, I was there, I was a young boy at that their time when it brought in, I remember seeing the television ads in the newspaper, and I remember seeing, hearing it on the radio over and over and over, the advocates to bring in uh, the abortion, okay, and it was for rape, and it was for incest. And those were the two, and they showed the worst case. That was the only grounds that it was for when they brought it in. Okay, and then you take time, and then the lawmakers, that's why the Bible says, woe to those lawyers. Okay, there's a woe pronounced upon lawyers that are twisting God's word today, come on, to make it fit everything else that goes on today. And so then what happened was, slowly they changed it, and they added to that. To now, it's abortion for convenience. No, you can be full term. You can be nine months and still have that baby killed. Okay, and, that's, and, and the way they kill the baby, if anybody ever reads it, you'd be out there on those abortion rallies. You'd be right out there in the front because they actually po they poison the baby with the salt solution in there. 
And they stick it inside, and they stick it inside the baby, and it literally burns the baby up from the inside. And people aren't even aware of what goes on. And we're not here to make anybody feel condemned because of your past, and, and you've had an abortion. Okay, but here's the fact is just acknowledge it to God, confess it for what it is, and then receive his grace, receive his mercy, receive his freedom, and turn the page of the next life. But the reality is it is a slaughterhouse for babies today. And one set of doctors is saying, I was there when the Pistonazis, Dave and Barb, had their baby at four and a half months. I was there with little Natalie inside of my hand, and that baby lived. I was there and could see right through her body, but every body part was there in my hand. So don't tell me it's not a living organism. Don't tell me it's a fetus. Don't tell me it's a blob. It was a human being. And every part was there. It wasn't completely developed. But the reality is, it was there. So as Christians now, there's a different value system. Our value is on life. Our value is everything we do as a church. It needs to emanate the very life of God. And his word says, thou shalt not murder. So now they're passing it in with the worst case scenarios, but you watch in time. They'll want to get rid of the handicapped. They'll want to get rid of the autistic. They'll want to get rid of the baby. They'll want to get rid of that is totally. These are precious souls. These are precious lives that Jesus shed his blood for that are just like you and me. Are you with me today? But I'm telling you how this whole thing works. I'm telling you. That's why I'd rather be a voice on the edge, speaking out, than just sitting there and not doing anything. See, there's people that wonder what happened. There's other people that say, they say what, 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 what just happened? And then there's others that are going to make things happen. And I believe that's the call on us as a church. And everybody said amen. amen. So here we go. Here we go. So Faith, have you ever wondered why? Kathy and I, we teach on this kind of stuff. Have you ever, have you ever wondered why? Have you ever read in the scriptures? Have you ever read this here in the Bible? And this is what it says. Our aim is to please him always. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, the Living Bible, not the New Living, but the Tyndale Living Bible says this here. Our aim is to please him always in everything we do, whether we are here in this body or away from this body and with him in heaven, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged and have our lives laid bare before him. Each of us will receive whatever he deserves for the good or the bad things he has done in his earthly body. So he's talking to the believers. The good speaks about those things of good nature. Those things are beneficial. Let me tell you right now, church, every time you've ever watched a little baby in the nursery, there's a reward that's laid up. Every time you've ever made a sacrifice for God where you put your self-interest aside and you put the interest of the kingdom of God, there's a reward laid up. For every hand that you've shaken when you came in as a greeter, for every usher that's been there that's been on watch, for every parking lot attendant that's out there in the snow in the wintertime, in the hot during the summertime that helps the mothers with their babies come out of the car, there's a reward laid up for you. If there's not a reward then laid up, then God lied and God didn't lie, but he said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brother, you actually do it as unto Jesus Christ himself. And because of it, God says, payday's coming, sir. Payday's coming, man. Just be faithful over your stewardship and watch what I'm going to do in your life. Are you all there? Let's go in our Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Is Corinthians a book that Paul was writing to? Okay. And how many know Paul gives us great details about what's going to happen in our future, every one of us that's here? So was there a judgment put on Christ on the cross? Yes. Is there a judgment for you and me when we all stand before Jesus? Come on. 
Three people got a hold of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's go over there. Is everybody there? Okay, so here's the one. I plant seed. Is there anybody else that plants seed? Is there anybody else that waters seed? I might plant a seed in you today, and Pastor RJ might be the one that's going to water that seed. So how many know it's not a competition between RJ and Rick, but how many know God's the one that sees the one that planted and sees the one that watered the seed? Now, I'm going somewhere with it. Because if you're in the kitchen and you work in the hospitality and you serve in the hospitality, how many are you going to get the same reward as the one that brings a cup of cold water? As you know, when a prophet comes in, a Lenz Odeman would come in, or other ministries we've had come in that are very prophetic in there, the one that got the cup of cold water that put it on the platform is going to receive the same reward that the one that was up there served. And see, we oftentimes don't understand that because we think it's just, it's the public eye, it's the public line, it's being in the public eye. But how many know the reality of the whole thing is, it's Jesus doesn't see it the same way that we see things. And Jesus looks at the heart, he looks at the motive, and so that person that came, and how many know you probably would never know who put that cold water up there today? You never know who it even is. You don't even know who it was that actually went and got the water, that filled it up, that put it in there, brought it up over here, and then changes it in between. You probably never know who it is, but every time they do it, there's a reward laid up in heaven. Can you all say amen? Matter of fact, Jesus said, if you welcome a little one in my name, how many know you're welcoming the Godhead? In the same respect, you take care of a child in there, you serve in the children's ministry, or you serve in the youth, or you serve in the CC, or any of the areas inside the church, how many know you're welcoming actually Christ, is what the scripture said, because he identifies with them. So in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 3, it says in verse 6, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. So how many know the most important one is God? Because how many of you can plant the seed, and you can, but if it doesn't grow, how many know it's not going to be good? But God is the one that makes it grow. It's not important. Everybody say it's not important. Who does the planting or who does the watering? What's important is that God makes the seed grow. So listen, listen very carefully. It takes the emphasis off me and it takes the emphasis off of you because it's all about him. And then it says the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. Okay, what does the word purpose mean? It means the aim. It means the intent. It means the goal. It means the desire of. That's exactly what it means over there. And how many know God doesn't do things purposeless, but how many know God does everything with a purpose? Purpose means the reason why something exists. Have you ever wondered why you're here? Have you actually ever wondered why you live? Have you ever wondered why you're on this here planet? Have you ever wondered about that? Raise your hand if you've ever wondered, okay? Uh, How many know if I told you the answer, how many would actually believe me? One, two, three, four, okay. If I tell you what the Bible says your purpose is, how many would say yes, okay? Well, I'm going to tell you why, because this transcends time. It doesn't change in the new covenant. It doesn't change in the old covenant. It doesn't change before. But Solomon was a guy, and he had everything, and he simply sums it up. And he says, all has been heard, Ecclesiastes 12. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. He says, all has been heard. The end of the matter is, fear God, reverence, and worship him. How many can say that's a good thing today? New Testament says to what? Fear God. Romans chapter 3 gives us a warning of letting the fear of God go, uh, not be before our eyes. And so he says over here, fear God. The end of the matter is, fear God, reverence, and worship him, knowing that he is. 
and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation. What's the full original purpose of his creation? To fear God. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God like this here, but it means to respect, to reverence, to make him number one in our lives. Amen. Amen. Let, me just, let me just state this here. I believe the greatest missing ingredient in the church world today is a lack of the fear of God. And that lack of the fear of God, man, people just do what they want to do rather than what, they, what is good for them. And then they wonder why they get the consequences. But it says it is the root, it's the object of God's providence, it's the root of character, it's the foundation of all happiness, it's the adjustments to all in harmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and it's the whole duty or the whole purpose for every man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. So what does that basically mean out there? My purpose is just do what God says. Amen. Reverence God, worship God, love God, and then do what he says. Where the problem comes in in the church world today is people tell us how much they love God, but how much they hate one another. Got quiet on that last one. It's okay. We'll leave that for later. Okay, verse number nine, for we are both, okay, verse number eight of 1 Corinthians 3, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work, for we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. Have you ever thought of that right now? Okay, not only, uh, we're, we're actually the field, the, the, the field that God purchased over there that it speaks about in Matthew is the whole world, and how many know you and I are a part of that there? So we could say it this way. How many know you belong to God? You've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are the Lord's. So it says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, now, now others are building on it, but whoever is building on the foundation must be very careful. So there's a warning in there. Yesterday, uh, Kathy and I got home, and we went for a walk after we went for a long bike ride. We walked in our new neighborhood out there, and we walked by, and we saw these new foundations being laid. Before we left, they weren't there, but after we came back, there was two new ones. And they had the holes all dug. And we went over there and I said, my God, look at the size of this here house that these people are building out there. I don't know who the people are. I don't know anything. But I know the size of the house is going to be huge because of the foundation. It was huge. Now, now, listen carefully. If there's a crack in the foundation, then how many know it's going it's to affect the whole house? In the same respect, look what it says over there. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building because of God's grace to me. I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very Christ. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have. What is the foundation of your faith? What is the foundation of your confidence? What is the foundation of your knowledge? What is the foundation of your hope? What is the foundation of your obedience? It is Jesus Christ. It is not built on WCF. It is not Pastor Rick. It is not Pastor Kathy. It is no other pastor. It is no other leader. Our foundation, what goes on first and foremost, is our walk individually with Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, as number one. Okay, very quickly. Okay. And then the drama team, get ready. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, everybody say judgment day. So apparently there's a judgment day coming in the context 100% is believers. 
Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. So in other words, God references you as well as me as a builder. And he's saying, what kind of work have you done? As a matter of fact, when I looked this here up, this is what was, was totally amazing to me, okay? The word work over here is a word that actually meant overseer. It's, it's translated bishop. And I said, what does this mean? So I went to all the dictionaries I had, and I began to put it together, and it means, listen, we're a bishop, an overseer of some endowment, some work that God has entrusted to each one of us. And it's to serve other bishops, other overseers. So in other words, everyone in this room, it doesn't matter what it means or, or who you are, but it means we're all overseers of some work of God's grace that's been given to us to help others. Because it's not about me, it's not about, it's about him. And then, and then it says over there, it says, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through the walls of flames. And then he goes on and speaks about, don't you know you're the temple of God? I said all that to say this here. Listen, listen carefully. We're all building every day. We're all building on the foundation of our faith. But what's the materials you're building with is most important to God. If we're doing it with a motive that is outside of bringing honor, bringing glory to him, and it's about us, then it's nothing more than wood, hay, and stubble. But if it's all about him, and it's for him, and it's done with the right heart, then you're laying it on the right foundation. Now, we're going to show in a drama... And they're going to show now that how faith, 100% of the time, needs corresponding actions to it. Some people just watch and they say, well, you know, I'm just praying that things work out. I'm just praying that it. Well, just watch this for one moment. And then we're going to do some closing marks and break bread. Just sitting on a park bench, feeding the pigeons. This, this guy comes up to me and he, what and he says, What the God, man? What you do? You sit on pond park bench in the middle of the day. I feed pigeon when there's so much work to be done. Work to be done. I, I wish. Put my resume everywhere, and, and no one's hiring. So, so I told them, there ain't no work out there. <laughs> so them, so them pigeon there that you are feed. How much them appear you? Minimum wage. <laughs> Oh, wise guy. That's just what I need. You know, I, I sit at home all day just watching TV, just waiting for the phone to ring. It's getting kind of depressing. I just, I don't know, I thought I'd come out here and just feed the pigeons a little bit. So, so how long you plan to stay out here feed pigeon? How long? I, I don't know, I, I guess until the breadcrumbs are all gone. Hey, what you doing out here? Shouldn't you be at work or something? Hey, Joey, no, I, I've been laid off for months. Oh, uh, me too. What is it, like some kind of work shortage or something oh, going on? Yeah, you know it is. Uh, so I heard that Habitat for Humanity is looking for volunteers. So I thought, why don't I put these hands to some good use? Bing, bang, what a boom. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, man, I know exactly what I said. Yeah, maybe you want to come too? I don't have time to volunteer. I, I need to find me a job. Oh, you mean you don't have time? 
Hey, what? What did you? What did you do that for? Forget about it. I'll see you later. You got all kind of time now, man. I paid good money for those breadcrumbs. You you buy breadcrumbs? Doesn't everyone? You, you mean you know you know just take the inner the bread from home, crumple them up, and come feed the pigeon? You, you actually buy breadcrumbs? I don't know what you just said. What in the world? Look, man, you, you have two good arms. And, and it look like you got two good foot them too, you know? And, and uh, as far as I can tell, it, it look like you got a decent head on your shoulder. I mean, it lean a little bit to the side, but, but you got a decent head on your shoulder. So why you not put them to good use, man, all of them? I have tried. There's no work out there. You got bills for pay? Got what? You got bill, man. You owe people money. You got bills for oh, pay. Oh, bills. Yes, I have bills I gotta pay. Yes. You got moat to feed. Moat. Moat, man. You you got people you have to take care of. You're responsible for them. You have moat you have to feed. Mouths. Yes, I I have mouths I need to feed. Yes. Then go on, man. Go on. Just sit down here. I waste your time. I feed pigeon. Go on, man. There's there's no work. I I told you that. Where, where am I going to go? Man, you see the man say, go to habitat for humanity. They need you, man. The guy with the funny accent, you know, hear him say, habitat need you, man. I need a job. I need a real paying job. You never know, man, what the good Lord have in store for you, you know. Sometimes you just... You just have to step out, you know? And just say, this is a new day, man. And just, just act like something good gonna happen for you today, you know? Something good, man. You know, he was right. I've been volunteering for over a month now. You know, this guy owns this construction company. He, he comes in and he... He gives supplies. He, he comes up to me and he says, Hey, where are you working these days? I'm, I'm not working anywhere. I've, I've been laid off for months. Good. Pardon me? It's good that you're out of work because I could use a guy like you. Really? Yeah, I've been around the site lately and to be honest, I'm impressed with your work. I hear that you're the first one to show up and the last one to leave. And you're just a volunteer right now. Well, thank you. Listen. Take my card, call me anytime. Just like that, I called him. I had a job within a week. You never know. Man, I could preach on that one. Well, I'm believing for a husband. I'm believing for a wife. This is a story that happened to me. This individual came up to me and says, would you pray that God brings me a husband? I said, sure. So I went to pray, and this is what came out. I had an open vision, and I saw a filthy house. I saw a kitchen with dishes all over, and I'm like, Oh my, 
Okay, I, I says, girl, I says, uh, God just showed me your house, and it's a mess. And I heard this here, if you'll clean the house and clean up, then he'll bring the one, because if he brought the one there now, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and her eyes got big as saucers. Anyway, she did it and got married shortly afterwards, so the rest is all history. So what's the story? You told me how I could find a husband. No, it's easier if you just listen to what God said. Amen? Every day as we close, we're learning something. We're learning from friends. We're learning, hopefully, from your pastor this morning. We're learning from teachers. We're learning from Facebook. We're learning from Twitter and all the different, the internet and so many things are out there. But I want everybody to stand, if you will. There's a few things that I've learned lately as I close this year message off today about faith without corresponding actions and next time we get together next week we want to talk about the book of Hebrews chapter 11 on how every one of the heroes of faith got in there because every one of them had a corresponding action to their faith by faith Noah what did he do in spite of what he saw he heard God said build the ark for the saving of your house and he obeyed by faith, Enoch had a revelation of God on his 65th birthday, ready to retire. And he walked with God for 300 solid years. And he had one testimony. He pleased God, came into agreement. And then the Lord took him. We can go all the way through to the life of Elisha, just over 10 years, almost 11 years, that the prophet Elisha served Elijah. And as he did, what happened? When, when time for Elijah to be caught up, the double portion mantle fell on Elisha and exactly double the miracles that Elijah did, so Elisha had, and it all came because of what we're talking. But I've learned that life is short and death is often very sudden and unexpected. I look at the club last week, just over a week ago, that was hit over in Orlando, Florida. And it wasn't just a, um, a GLBT club, there was other couples that were inside the club, people that live in that community. No, there was very, very familiar with, uh, with different other people just went there to party and couples were murdered that night. Life is short and death is often very sudden and unexpected. I learned that we should never wait to tell someone we love them because so many live in regrets and wish I would have told them this here, wish I, wish I would have said it. If you have a son and you have a daughter and you don't tell them today that you love them, then you're not applying God's truth into your life. And you say, well, we're not talking this and that. Well, maybe this would be the first time that could bring a break. I've learned that we should never wait to tell someone we love them. I've learned that people are precious and relationships take work and sometimes hard work to see them come to the fulfillment. I learned that we really have to accept people as they are and not try to change them into what we think they should be or how we want them to be, but just let's lay the foundation with Christ inside and let God, the master builder, finish the work. I learned that we really need to, um, I learned that coincidence are usually God's setups. And I learned that love always trusts and always hopes and always believes the best. I've learned that each of us struggles in something and no one is as confident as they may seem outwardly. But inside they all have, and each one of us in this room has some struggles. I've learned that sometimes you have to let people go and I've learned that change in life is inevitable. I finally learned that what a person oftentimes sees is sometimes very different from what you think he or she is seeing inside of you. 
I've learned over life that people are precious. I've learned over life that if we're going to see people the way God sees them, then we're going to have to start picking up the cross daily and deny ourselves and see things the way he does. I've learned the last thing that I want to share is, and I share this at funerals often, and it's about Dash. Many I heard at Father's Day, the cemeteries were just packed out with people bringing flowers to the cemeteries for dads or grandpas or loved ones that they had lost or that were out there. Others were out there for children, but the day reminded them of that. But you'll see on there, it says 1940-something, and then you'll see 2016. What really mattered most was the dash between those ears. And if you've never been to a funeral that I've ever spoken, because I share this at every funeral, it says, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of the birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that he spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved him or her knew how little, what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change for you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged? If we could just slow down enough to consider what is true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that that special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogies being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about you, about how you spent your dash? Amen. And Pastor Rick added one other line in there, or will the preacher be forced to lie about it? <laughs> this one won't, okay? Remember, I almost got thrown out of a funeral because the minister lied about the person that was there and said how faithful he was in the church. The person hadn't been in church in 40 years. And how godly, the, and the person was the most ungodly one. I was there two days before he had passed. I knew what this guy was. And he's telling the people how faithful and how good and how everything is. And it's like, that ain't true. That didn't go over well. But it was true, what I said. It wasn't true. I've learned now to use a little more diplomacy. Okay. Holly, that's another thing I've learned in life. Holly, some of my early sermons, I wish I would have heard a little Anyway, I will leave all that. Father, as we look in the bread and see a broken body of the Son of God for each one of us in this room, but God, may we reflect this moment on the dash. How are we living our dash today? And God, if there's things that need to be rearranged, if there's things that we've even in the drama have showed that have had no corresponding actions to our faith, we're just waiting for God to move or waiting for God to do this, waiting for that, instead of listening to his instruction to do something. 
I know that when Rick and Kathy Shimatero's life, when, whenever we mention to God about a need, God always talks to us about a seed. Because seed is the pr- principle of the future is always in the seed. And so, God, as we look at this here bread today and are reminded of Christ's broken body for us, that out of it came our wholeness today, our soundness today, our health today, our strength today. And so, God, we are forever grateful for the cross. We're forever grateful to be in history for this time that is here today to see the greatest harvest in all history brought in in these last days. And so, God, no matter what happens We thank you that you are Lord of our lives because we've yielded to your lordship. And God, as we open our ears to listen and to obey, so may we reap the benefits of it. Let us partake of the bread. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Worker, we shared about workers. Labors together with a person who assists, gives aid and support, a helper, a person who is subordinate to another in rank, function. Workers, it's the word coadjutor. Coadjutor means an assistant to a bishop or other ecclesiastic members of the clergy. This word describes Jesus, working for Jesus, serving Jesus. This word also de- describes a bishop who assists another bishop who with the right of succession, such as Elisha who served Elijah, and the mantle was transferred. So God, may we be known at WCF as a serving community that cares, that loves, that initiates, and goes after. We're so thankful for the praise report that we all celebrated together today. But God, we want to see rewards for everyone laid up at the judgment. That Father God, they could say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over this here Oikos, you've been faithful as a bishop, as an assistant to help this one get that job done and that one get this job done. So come and I'll make you faithful over much. Be it done. May that be spoken of for everyone watching by live stream and everyone in the sound of our voice that we could say we lived our dash well to bring honor to Jesus. Let us partake together.